You truly are. Another episode of the Kings of Kings. We are diving right in, a la Alexander Ovechkin or Milan Lucic. Uh, this is Keith. How are you doing, Sean? We at the moment are doing really, really well because as of the right Royal now, We, the Royal We, in both senses, of the <laughs> that is Royal. Because the uh, San Jose Sharks are currently losing five to one to the Nashville Predators. Thank you for that hot update. I uh, didn't get a chance to check the league scoreboard yet, um, but we are indeed scoreboard watching because the Kings find themselves in a bit of a dogfight here as we record this on February seventeenth, um, which is a Tuesday, in between Kings games. Sean, um, a lot has happened since we last recorded a podcast. The Kings have gone on a five-game winning streak, powered by the play of Pelot Toffoli, Jeff Carter, and Dwight King. Uh, don't forget that other fine number 70, uh, well, number in the 70s. I'll let you guess which one I'm talking about, and I'm not... Favorite player, Jordan Nolan. Yes, the next one. Um, he's got some moves. You you have... Uh, have you dumped on any player more than Jordan Nolan this year? I need to... I w- I, I've never dumped on jo- Jordan Nolan. I have simply raised him up as an example of... <laughs> Someone of who should not be in the NHL right now? What? What, what is he? I... I've only I've only raised him up as an example of a player that should not necessarily be. I, no, it wasn't that he shouldn't be playing in the NHL. My original point, I think, when way back when when I brought up Jordan Nolan as an example, is when we were talking about women in the NHL, and then I basically made the point that if there if if Amanda Kessel is better than Jordan Nolan, then she should she should have his roster spot. <laughs> oh boy, uh, I agree. Um... Boy, we do need to go back to the tapes because I do feel like he is a recurring member of the Kings lineup that uh, you often question his uh, his right to be there. Uh, there's so many directions to take this discussion. Indeed, the Kings are currently in the midst of a five-game winning streak. They had been in the midst of uh, at least a five-game losing streak. I believe they were one win in 10 games at a, at a certain point. Um, we last spoke when Mike Richards had been sent down to the AHL after clearing waivers to play for the minor league affiliate of the Kings. Um, where, he, where he has eight points in six games. <laughs> I'm sure you're keeping close track of his performance. Uh, so let's pick up where we left off with Mike Richards, especially since you have, uh, apparently been following him closely. Um, what do you think will happen with Mikey? 
I mean, well, as of right now, the Kings don't need to change a thing. So, I, I, I mean, unless something catastrophic happens or even something mediocre happens, I don't see him getting called back up before the playoffs if we make the playoffs. Um, Do you see him right getting now, traded? Yeah, I see him get traded before he gets called up. Do you think... I don't know if... The, I don't... Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, okay, within the trade context, do you think Mike Richards would be part of a deal to give the Kings something back that they need right away, like to fill a hole now? Or do you think a Mike Richards trade, if it were to happen this season, would just be a way to unload him and we would get not much back for him in return? Essentially another team would be helping us out and doing us a favor. We may get some young prospects, players, draft picks, and in return give up Richards and probably swallow a bit of his contract. I, I don't see that happening. I see something more akin to the uh, Dion Phaneuf trade happening, and that's... Like, I mean, you, you, take, you take our big weight, dead weight... And we'll take your dead weight. Pretty much. So this is what I heard about the Dion Phaneuf situation. That his contract, in addition to having a higher cap hit, I believe $7 million per year, also, go, also goes longer. So if we think we would be ridding ourselves of a long-term uh, cap-engorged contract by getting rid of Mike Richards, we would in fact be adding, I think, cumulatively or our net difference of 19 more million dollars to our cap hit. Um, if we were to get rid of Richards, would take on Phaneuf. Yeah, but at least we would have a roster player. We would have a roster player and we would theoretically have a top four defenseman for many more years and that to me is the big difference that I think is being overlooked like we don't have any needs at center clearly we've got centers piling up in our minor leagues that are chomping at the bit ready to play what we don't seem to have are reliable defensemen especially with years of experience like I think especially in how defensive lines are just a pair of individuals it seems like there's an interest in complementing like veteran with youth speedy puck mover with stay-at-home defensemen righty with lefty and it's much harder to do that when you only have two on a line instead of mixing three forwards together yeah but I, I, the other scenario instead of a, a Dion Phaneuf would be someone like a real like there's been a lot of rumors about Roman Polak recently and Andre Sakara. So Sakara from Carolina. Polak is now where? He's on the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs. And both teams are going to be going probably through, in, in the case of Toronto, a major rebuild. Carolina, possibly a minor rebuild. Both teams are going to want young prospects and or picks for those two players. So I guess if... Is we Polak a get... defenseman? I thought Polak was a forward. Am I totally off? You're totally off. Gotcha. You know, Bozak, because they both have silly names. Uh, but uh, if 
if it's either like gonna be a enough for Richards trade, or a Sakara slash Polak deal. What do you give up for Polak or Sakara? Assume I don't know. I don't have Richards in front of me, but assume that you're gonna get roughly the same amount of minutes and the same amount of and the same quality between a Dion Phaneuf and a Sakara or a Polak. They're younger. They're cheaper. But they're probably less proven. So the name that I hear uh, other teams are interested in is Kyle Clifford because he's cheap, he's effective, he has Stanley Cups, um, and his style of play is appealing to teams. Um, as much as we have already talked about him on this show episode, I, I think Jordan Nolan especially in a similar set of circumstances, if we can, you know, sell high on him while he seems to be doing well, while he's scoring goals and is playing, you know, a lot of minutes on, you know, conceivably he could be playing on a third line. Um, I would love to trade Jordan Nolan and maybe a prospect. Um, I was also thinking that Nick Shore and other top two line prospects, especially if they're centers, have like no no slot in our foreseeable future, right? Like Nick Shore sounds like a really likely or logical candidate to trade, um, considering he's billed as like a top two line center. Um, I think Andre Andreoff, Andy Andreoff, is supposed to be more of like a bottom six center. So that would make sense if he kind of stays in the fold and eventually takes on the fourth line. But Nick Shore doesn't seem, A, to be doing great on the fourth line, but B, not slated to stay there forever anyways. So. Yeah, but, I mean... also, keep in mind if you know if Kopitar or Carter goes down, who's your who's your top one or two center? I, I think. Uh, well, going down like going down in a combustible fire of criminal activity, like I think that happens maybe once a century to a team. Like you might no, they might have an injury, but um, that's what I'm, they go down with an injury. Then I think you you do what the Kings have traditionally done, which you which is you have five centers, one of them plays winger on an additional line, and then when one of your centers gets hurt, you still have four centers to interchange. Like we've been doing that with Kopitar, Carter, Stoll, Richards, and Lewis. Um, now that we've dropped Richards, we've brought up Shore, so we still have five centers in our lineup. Um, and you know what my my secret recipe is? I think we keep Richards. I think he continues to get better. I think we bring him back for the playoffs. I don't think anyone wants him or his contract, and I think we would be shooting ourselves in the foot twice by buying him out and then still getting stuck with his cap hit. I say we keep him, um, and then next year when Jarrett Stoll leaves because he's a free agent, 
Uh, we plug Mike Richards in on the third line where he's going to get more minutes and better scoring wingers next to him, and he'll probably play a lot better. So essentially, Mike Richards just becomes the next Jared Stoll because we're already paying him for do, to do that anyways. What do you think? I think that's already been tried. I think that's already been tried, and I think unless Mike Richards has a big turnaround, I don't see that as working. But we've always had Jarrett Stoll. Like, I, I, I investigated this further. Everybody's complaining about the production of Richards and how disappointing he is, but his numbers are almost identical to Jarrett Stoll. In fact, if you, like, you know, extrapolate on a per-game basis, they're... Richards is slightly better in terms of points and goals per game. And Stoll has even more penalty minutes, which is probably not a surprise if you watch Jared Stoll play. Um, so I, I almost feel like Jared Stoll kind of gets this pass. I mean, he is an effective faceoff and maybe defensive center, but I could very easily see Mike Richards essentially becoming Jared Stoll 2.0. And we've, we've never had that option to just think of like, oh, he'll be our third line center because we've had Jarrett Stoll there um, and we don't want to drop Jarrett Stoll to the fourth line. But now that we will not have both of these players and maybe only one of them moving forward, I say elevate Richards to like permanent third center status and then mix uh, Andriov... Lewis, fill in your blank for your fourth line center. That's my proposal. My proposal is we stick with trading Richards and letting Stoll walk and have Shore be our third line center. And then use like uh, Andriov, Lewis mix for fourth line. Potentially, yeah. All right. All right. Do you so? Do you like Nick Shore's play? I mean, there's a lot that's been happening, including players coming on to the team that we have not seen before, such as a Nick Shore, number 37. I mean, keep in mind, Nick Shore has only played, what, 10 or 12 NHL games at this point? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about my thoughts of Tanner Pearson after a dozen games, and I was like, who is this kid? Why is he playing? I'm not impressed. Do we really need him up here? So, truly, he has not set the world on fire, but... He is also just uh, learning the ropes. Yeah, I, I, and you don't want to rush the development of a kid like that. But, I mean, if, if he's a potential number two or number one center down the road, I, I mean, I think it makes more sense to keep a guy like that than to trade him. Okay, so then to ask you the same question you asked me, because A, the Kings... Uh, still need defensive help with the Slava Voinov situation unresolved. B, the trade deadline is fast approaching in two weeks. Uh, March 2nd, I believe, is the t- deadline. And C, there's nothing I love doing more than playing armchair GM. So let's hear your proposal for any possible King's trade plans, especially with your scenario of getting a mid-range defenseman um, that is cheaper, a.k.a. not DeAnf enough? That, I, I think it's going to be Paul Walker-Sakara. 
Okay, so I, I like I like Sakura much more than Pollock. And what about the uh, the Phoenix? Was it Yandel or, um, or not the Arizona Coyote defenseman that was in trade talks? It was Yandel, but I I have a feeling that's going to be at way too high a price. Yeah. Okay, so what would a Sakara fetch in your? What what would you give in in return? I mean, I have a feeling it's going to be something like two draft picks. Okay. Like two two seconds. I have a feeling because that's that's a that's what Toronto's going to want. They're not going to want any salary coming back because they're rebuilding and they don't want to spend any more money. And and or no, I'm thinking I'm thinking not Sakara. Sakara's on Carolina. Uh, but but probably the same position where they're not going to be wanting taking any salary back. Uh, they're going to want a prospect and two picks. It would be my guess. Mm-hmm. And that that'd be something I'd be willing to to give up. Prospect and two picks, maybe not both in this draft, but one yeah. in this, one in the future. Yeah, I mean that sounds precious, but at the same time we seem to be getting all of our younger talent is, is finding its way into our current roster, like a um, McNabb and DeFoley and Pearson. Like, there's not a lot of slots that are going to be left for young prospects to jump into. You know, Brown, Kopitar, Gabrick, Carter are all on long-term deals. Um, so, I don't know. I, I guess we theoretically have a future top right wing position because I think Brown is going to slide down to like the third line. But um. yeah, if he if he if he stays with the team because his numbers are not very good right now. Yeah, really. I mean, Richards is fortunately sort of like taking the blow and the the negative uh, focus all into his play but it's overshadowing the fact that that brown is is continuing to underperform um i just don't think you can really move or deal your captain and uh sort of the oldest member of this current incarnation of the kings i, I just think he's not going anywhere um Wait, just because he's the captain? Uh, yeah, I think there is this loyalty to the current leadership group. I don't think Richards is part of that core leadership group, but I think someone like a Matt Green is. Um, and he got rewarded for with a you know a contract extension. So, what what do you? I mean, Brown. I don't think has much value either in terms of a trade. Would you think we would also waive him or try to buy him out eventually? God, no. I think Brown has huge value in a trade. Really? Oh, yeah. I think I think a team like Buffalo or Toronto, I think any of these rebuilding teams, you're talking about a captain, a former... I, I don't think he's the current... the potential to be a 30-goal scorer anymore, but he's a former 30-goal scorer... He's a he's a two time Stanley Cup winner. He's an Olympian. I mean, this guy is he. I, I think, and he's an American player. So I think I think a team like Buffalo would love would love to have a Dustin Brown. But what, like, 
all of the things you said, aside from being American, can apply to Mike Richards. Like, fantastic production in the past. He's won at all levels. He's a leader. He's a former captain. And there was no market for him. Dustin Brown has recently re-signed, you know, so his contract is going on for many more years. It's not the most friendly. It's not the worst. But, I mean, you're not necessarily getting him on the cheap, and you're getting him as he's clearly declining. So I just don't know if there's any de- more demand for him than there'd be for Mike Richards. Well, there's two big differences between Mike Richards and Dustin Brown, and that is that Dustin Brown's currently playing for the NHL and Mike Richards is not. <sighs> okay, let's uh, let's shift away from this unfortunate, the, the, the underperforming negative uh, sides of the team, and let's talk about uh, someone or some bodies who are performing quite well. Uh, would you like to volunteer uh, Sean's King of the Podcast? This is a new segment, I'm deciding. It's someone since we've last recorded that we're very excited about and would love to talk about. Uh, I know who you're going to go with, so I'm going with Dwight King. <laughs> I think Does, I, Dwight d- King, right now, other than maybe the, the Phoenix series in 2012, uh, Dwight King is playing the hockey of his life right now. And define what differentiates elevated Dwight King hockey from what we normally see from Dwight King. Uh, well... Number one would be points. The difference between now and then would be his his, his point production. Uh, the correct but, answer is is uh, facial hair. He's removed his facial hair, but okay, keep going. He's also scoring points. He really shouldn't do that, by the way. <laughs> Should not what? Shave. Clean, cleanly shave. Oh, it, it it is so much more frightening than a bearded white man. <laughs> I can't deal with it, uh, but uh, I don't know. I just feel like he's making better reads in the offensive zone, and he's he's, he's uh, and, and a lot of that is playing with with two players like Carter and Tavoli, who are just always going to be in great scoring positions because that's right. just the way they. Well, um, that's kind of like, my point. Like, if you have Carter, or sorry, if you have King centered by Stoll with a Williams or a Brown, which he'd often been playing with. He's going to get much fewer points and scoring opportunities because those players just are not generating consistent, smart, offensive plays. Whereas, as you said, if he's playing with Carter and Toffoli on their wing, or Carter and Richards, or Carter and anyone, or if he gets put on the top line with Kopitar and Brown, or Kopitar and Carter, like, you've seen King be able to, you know, produce when he's with um, talented players. Because I think he, he fits that a great mold and uh, serves a good role, uh, which is a sort of like digging it out of the corners, lurking in front of the net, getting rebounds. Like that goal he scored um, with that to fully shot and he was just kind of fighting for the rebound was like a perfect demonstration of why Dwight King is is really useful on a, on a top line like that. 
Yeah, you're making my case for me, man. Well, but my point, like, and it's not necessarily in disagreement. I, I do think he's playing great hockey, but I think the devil's advocate contrarian view is that Dwight King is playing fairly consistent and he's continuing to play his game and it's just if you play his game with really talented uh, wingers alongside him, he'll start producing more points and goals. What so do you you're think? saying it's not, it's not him, it's his, it's his line mates. Uh, yeah, I kind of think that's the case. I mean, I, I think that's certainly one explanation, but I think he's also just just visually he's been better. He's been he's been hounding pucks even more vehemently than he has in the past. <laughs> with that he's face, been, with that fa- and he's been just winning more puck battles. And I feel like he has been making better reads and getting the puck to better positions, and, and himself being in better position. True. Um, okay, so who did you think that I was going to say as my my king of the of the podcast? It's gonna be Tyler Toffoli. I can't disagree. Um, I would love to offer another name. Um, I hadn't really thought of my own answer. I thought you were gonna say Tyler Toffoli, but. I mean, he was the second star of the week. He scored a hat-trick. He's got 18 goals already, which, like, Mike Richards would kill to have 18 goals in the NHL these days. Uh, he's, he's doing exactly what we have wanted him to do. He's becoming the player we have forecasted him to be. He's lethal, and he's always... He's just always thinking shot, and he's really capable of putting pucks on net. Like, I love on breakaways or two-on-ones or three-on-twos. Like, he'll have the puck, and he'll just make a move to then get free himself up for the shot. And even if he doesn't score, he shoots in an intelligent way to create rebounds, a la the game-winning Stanley Cup goal. You know, I don't know if he gets enough credit for making the shot that Martinez is able to put in off a rebound. Like, it's such a deliberate shot on that final play. Anyway, so that's a big thing for me, and that Tanner Pearson also does really well, which is just like always thinking about putting the puck on that in a dangerous way, and doing it effectively instead of like uh, Dustin Brown, like if he's gonna get the puck and shoot it, it goes off the glass, or it isn't nearly as dangerous. Dustin Brown has really been frustrating me at times, but um, yes, Tyler DeFoley. Is there much more to rave about? I mean, any anything I didn't I left out. Well, one of the things that I love about watching DeFoley play is how is the is the chemistry he's developed with Carter, and I think there's something about him playing with Carter that it, I think DeFoley actually benefits more from a player like Carter than he would even from Kopitar because Kopitar is such a brilliant playmaker, right? Yeah. But there's something when Toffoli and Carter are playing together. I, I I just get this vibe that like Carter knows where to throw the puck and he knows Toffoli is going to be there because Carter's thinking, well, where would I be right now? <laughs> I'd be in front of the net, and when Toffoli has the puck, Toffoli's thinking, well, where would I would be? Where would I be right now? And that's where Jeff Carter is. Right. It, they're they. It, it just seems like they think 
the game the same way. Which is yeah. Sizes and they and they have a different style, but there's there's a that that offensive tenacity that, that someone like Kopitar does not have really. Yes, right, and uh, and it's almost like you almost worry that there's a risk of them overlapping, and I you know you hear this like in Toffoli's earlier playing days, especially with Carter, that he and Carter would literally be in the same parts of the ice, overlapping. And that there wasn't as much spacing, or they didn't know where to be um, to complement each other. And I think that is the fear because they're both such brilliant shooting right-handed forwards. It's like, would they be better split up, or would they really be able to work together rather than potentially? being the same player on the same line. But what you're saying is a really good point in that when Jeff Carter plays more like a center instead of just like a scoring winger, um, he's able to help set up Toffoli. And Toffoli is learning more about where to be within the King system to, to, to feed back and, and pass. And so like <laughs> for the first time, Jeff Carter has more assists than goals. Um, and yeah that line is just apparently becoming more dangerous regardless of who is on the left wing. Speaking of... Well, I, oh. I was just, before we move on, I don't know if it's necessarily regardless of who's on the left wing because I think having a player, a complementary player like Dwight King, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is Dwight King, uh, and maybe the same thing, is Dwight King is the perfect complementary player to ooh, this line. More perfect than Tanner Pearson. In, in some ways, yes, because I think, again, Tanner Pearson almost has the same approach as a Tyler Toffoli or a Jeff Carter. Like, it's three types of the same player. Now, I, as Tanner Pearson may be a little playmaker, but he's equally as tenacious on, at, t- towards the net as a Toffoli or a Carter. And it, it's sort of like you're just – it's all guns blazing. You're throwing everything at the net, pure, purely offensive line. Um that I feel like it, it, it might be well, the, when the when the when that seventies line was was killing it at the beginning of the season, nobody else was, as you recall. Like no no other line was scoring. Mm-hmm. And when Pearson comes back, if Pearson came back tomorrow, which obviously he's not going to, but if he did, I don't know if I would put him back with Toffoli and Carter. I would want to throw him up on the top line. Um with Obitar. And have to have Pearson on the right wing. I mean, they're all three left-handed. Gabrick's left-handed. He's on the left wing. Um, yeah, yeah. Put him on the right wing. Let him figure it out. <laughs> it is possible. Um, yeah, I, I'm never been a, a hockey coach, but I do feel like I've understood some of the dynamics of like line formations and complementary players on lines and so I'm always obsessed and scheming up in my brain what the ideal line combinations are uh, with the personnel that you have and you segued into the question I was going to ask which is when Tanner Pearson recovers from his broken leg where do you put him um, I never thought about him on the top line um but 
the idea of him maybe interjecting some more life and scoring power on another line, like the third line with Stoll and, say, Williams, could be really interesting. Um, however, I do think Tanner Pearson's role is, is different enough that he complements Toffoli and Carter. And just think of, like, all the chemistry you're talking about Toffoli and Carter developing. Like, it is even stronger between Pearson and Toffoli. Like, they are incredible to work together on the ice. And I think Pearson is a bit more of a passer. He's more digging it out, and he's more interested in forechecking. But he's just much faster and capable of skating with, like, a Carter on the rush. And I, I like that, that dynamic of, like, absolute speed on that line. Um, I think King eventually does make more sense with, like, Stoll and maybe Williams on the third line. Um, anyways, okay. We've talked ad nausea about this in life. Well, I was going to say really quick. You and I both have never been NHL hockey coaches. Well, we both, not we yet. Both have, we both have played Nintendo hockey. But we have, and we've, I mean, if there's ever a training ground for what is the appropriate combination of personnel, it is NES ice hockey. That's a great point. It's a great point. And that is why I get so frustrated with the Stoll-Williams-Brown line, because it is like three of the exact same players. You don't build a line of three mediums. Even if you have a fat as the fourth, it's like they're all right-handed, they're all medium-sized, they all have some speed, they all are good at passing the puck, none of them is like a total sniper, none of them is a huge body, it drives me crazy, like I just, that, that line, it has been doing some more scoring as of late, but please just put Williams or Brown on the top wing, What? What is Trevor Lewis doing on the first line? You mean other than scoring goals? Other than scoring pretty backhanders, slicing to the net. Couldn't you see him just taking that puck and, like, throwing it over the entire net instead? That would have been very Trevor Lewis. I could see him doing that, but I did see him scoring. You did, because he did it. He scored. Um... I'm going to just say it right now, This we're, we're going to go nice and long for this episode, if you can do it, because we still have plenty to talk about. There has been plenty we have not yet talked about. Um, we have basically not even talked about the defense. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on McBain and McNabb, LLC. Um, what... What do you make of those two players, um, since we know the other defensemen that have been playing? So far, they seem like they've been pretty good. I don't know what their minutes have been over the past few games, but it doesn't seem like they've been playing a huge amount of minutes. McBain, I think he's been playing on the second power play unit and has been Mm -hmm. doing not bad. I mean, overall, they've been, uh, as a a third pair, they've been fine. They've been fine to good. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, I get a little hesitant putting, like, our two weakest, uh, I guess, youngest 
defensemen together. Um, I, I'm assuming that Alec Martinez being out is causing things to be jumbled. Uh, and of course, with Voinov out, things are, are not as they were planned. But I am individually happy with both of their games. Um, I've said this in the past that McNabb often makes mistakes and just seems like he's not fully comfortable in the Kings system. And I'm, you know, sometimes just totally confused as to why we were so high on him. But then I think back to, like, a Jake Muzzin early on or ex-young Kings defenseman fill-in-the-blank. Like, other than Drew Doughty, there always seems to be quite a slow learning curve for defensemen, and I just trust that staying in our system and getting NHL games is really the best way to bring on a new defenseman. Um, I mean, Jeff Schultz wasn't lights out when he came up, but he um, was adequate. So, so yeah, I actually think that, like a Keaton Ellerby in the past, like McBain is pleasantly surprising as a, the sort of additional defenseman that we got out of nowhere. I think he'll fill in now nicely while we're waiting for Martinez. He can potentially slide into the extra seventh defenseman um, if Martinez comes back. But my only concern is really the sort of assortment of pairings. I don't know what the current status is, but if McBain and McNabb are together, then that means, like, what, Dowdy is with Regeer and Muzzin is with Green? Yep. Um... I don't know how you feel about that. In general, do you... I mean, considering Doughty is probably the best defenseman in the world and Muzzin quietly, if not always, lighting it up offensively or making, you know, the most brilliant plays while watching seems to have, like, some of the best statistical defensive numbers in the game and is clearly, like, an upper echelon defenseman. Do you think there's something to be said for maybe splitting up Muzzin and Dowdy? I think we've been doing it for five games, and we've been winning for five games. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, And also, I, I think since Regeer has come back from injury, he's been playing really, really well. And, and, like, you're talking about in terms of balancing pairings and stuff, getting back to that stay-at-home, Big body, shut down defenseman, and the more wheeling dealing offensive defenseman on both the, the, the first pair and the second pair with Dowdy Regeer and Muzzin and Green has worked out really well the past few games. Right. I mean, one thing is that Regeer, I guess, is still recuperating and is not at 100%. So, in some ways, it's good because he can hang back and let Dowdy move up. But in the other the other side of it is that if he's always playing with Dowdy, that means he's constantly on the ice. Um, I think once Regeer is healthy, I've always liked him as a pairing for Dowdy. I thought Regeer or a Scuderi is a great pairing for Dowdy. Um, but I, I'm a little... I, act, I like Martinez better with Green, and so when 
Martinez comes back, I'm hoping that that gets restored. Um, I think that's a potential, like, second line of defense. Or if you put Muzzin on a second line, um, you know, Martinez and Green is a really solid third third pairing. Because I think Martinez really has that offensive and puck-moving capacity that Green doesn't. I never really know how to qualify Muzzin. He seems to have a big shot. He seems to be smart with the puck. But he's not fast, and he doesn't seem to be the one that wants to bring up the puck. Obviously, if he's with Dowdy, that's not going to happen. But, you know, if Muzzin is with someone like Green, it it seems like they're they're both less inclined to bring the puck up, if that makes sense. Well, I, I, actually, I, I think Muzzin has, a, bit, has a, more, a lot more offensive upside, obviously, than Green. I mean, yes. My 87 year old grandmother has more offensive upside than Green. Uh, not this year. Not this year. The same, cold blooded sniper. But, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think uh, Muzzin is going to activate a lot more with, uh, with Green. And I think the, the, the Dowdy. Muzzin pairing, even as much as Drew Doughty loved it, and as yes. much as it took us to two conference finals and a Stanley Cup uh, with the two of them. Uh, I don't think no. Our first cup, I believe, I'm I'm almost certain that Muzzin was not with Doughty. I think he That's, was with Voinov. Wasn't playing our first cup. I'm saying the the 2013 conference final oh. and the 20 cup were Muzzin and Doughty pairing. Gotcha. But. I think, kind of like what you're saying with the Carter Defoli thing, I actually think there's too much overlap between Dowdy and Muzzin. Mm-hmm. And, and because Muzzin, I think, over the past two seasons, when he's when when he has the puck, he's going to skate it up the ice. And Dowdy has become more of the the hangback, responsible adult defenseman, which I think doesn't play to Dowdy's strengths. Mm-hmm. And I think and. But, you know, like we've said before, pairing Dowdy with a more responsible stay-at-home guy. I mean, look at Dowdy in, in the Olympics when he was playing with Vlasic. Right. Vlasic is one of the shutdown defensemen in the league. Right. I mean, Dowdy was, Dowdy was like a, a fourth forward out there. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the, that's the upside of having someone like Regeer, even like you're saying, he's not a, 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 he's not a top speed right now, certainly, and has been battling illness and I guess Sutter was saying in, in interviews that you know when they're having team meetings or looking at video Regeer's in the back of the room like on an IV or something like still getting yes. fed, uh, fluids because he's been so ill gotta love Which, that you know, <laughs> so yeah. um, that makes I, 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 I'm in agreement with you and I, I've always been a little uh, skeptical about the Muzz and Dowdy pairing and I think as they both mature and develop their games to be even better, you will want to split them up um, for the, the strength of the overall D. And it you almost feel like Dowdy is, is maybe also at the point, not of being paired with a slow, stay-at-home veteran, but maybe pairing him with a young, stay-at-home rookie um, like... I'm still learning McNabb's game, and and he also seems to be something of an enigma that has a heavy shot, 
and you know is a very physical he's huge right but is McNabb build as more like a uh, stay at home defenseman or a, a puck mover defenseman is he like a, a muzzin that's kind of in between McNabb's a little bit more in between he's got upside on both but I, I think the bottom line is if, if you're gonna if you're gonna give a partner to Drew Doughty you need a veteran experienced stay at home guy you're not gonna pair him with a rookie because Doughty's gonna play 30, 30 minutes a night which means his 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 partner is gonna play I don't know what 24 25 minutes a night right if, a little bit more. So you can't pay... I mean, McNabb is not going to step in in his first full season and play 24 minutes a night against the best players in the league. That's never going to happen. You you need... You're much better off with a guy like Regeer who's been around and maybe he's not as fleet of foot, but he's going to be responsible. is going to make a lot fewer mistakes than a McNabb. And if Mac, McNabb's it, it paired with Dowdy and McNabb makes a mistake, it's when Steven Stamkos is on the ice. And that's not what you want. So I, I, I see what you're saying in terms of like having Dowdy be more of the Obi-Wan Kenobi to a, a, a younger player. But I, I think that that would be misusing Dowdy's talents. Right. right, at least at this point in his career. Right. I hear Dowdy's, you. Dowdy's going to be that guy when he's 35, which is in 10 years. <laughs> I, that's just to put it in perspective. Dowdy is entering his prime, and his prime is going to be for 10 years. 10 years, man. 10 <laughs> years. But, like, that's that's insane. I mean, the, the upside on this guy, like you're saying, he's the best, probably the best defenseman in the world, and the fact that he's not getting more buzz about, you know, potentially winning the Norris Trophy is just unfortunate, but that's just the way it works. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I, I think it, it's it, I, I, do you uh, continue to model your hair cut off Drew Dowdy's no I cut it short wow very short but I am I, I, I have facial hair like Drew Dowdy right now well a few points yeah. um, did you see <laughs> the Tampa game last night uh, I caught most of it. I came in actually right after Tampa scored their first goal. So I can't remember. That was what, halfway into the first? And the first, I don't remember exactly where I came in. But yeah, Perfect. I caught most of it. Good, because I, I caught the first half. So it sounds like we've got it covered between us. Um, but I do love the highlight of Drew Doughty um, essentially like totally stopping Stamkos and then basically taking him down and then um, I think Shore picks up the puck as like Dowdy seems to be wrestling Stamkos down to the ground and then moves it up to King and King passes it uh, to Carter and they score one of, on one of the goals starts with Dowdy just taking out Stamkos that must have been the bowling goal I think yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's a Nolan goal. Um, did I? I know this is a, a frequent debate because uh, Dowdy and Stamkos were um, the top two picks in the two thousand and eight draft. Stamkos was taken one. 
daddy was taken to we've talked about this before have has your opinion changed would you have taken dowdy number one overall if you were the kings or Stamkos number one overall I mean I I don't see how you can make any argument other than for what Lombardi did I mean I think he's got two Stanley Cups to show for it you take your dowdy yep yep there's a question because we already had Andre Kobitar in the system and Andre Kobitar's build as a number one center you don't need another I mean if we well, can also then we took Jeff Carter yeah but um, but yeah I mean I, I don't think there's any argument that we should have or could have changed any any way that it has gone up to this point I wouldn't have changed a thing uh, it's been a while do you want to do a three period breakdown of uh, either the, the Tampa game or, or, an, or another one uh course um fill me in because i did not get to see the the calgary game that was thursday yeah i i saw it in live in person oh well that i mean that game itself was so satisfying uh not only because it was the only game of our current five game winning streak that was against a western conference and Pacific Division and playoff rival uh, team, so it was incredibly beneficial for us to take that game. It was also against like what is becoming our kryptonite, which is the Calgary Flames, whom we had not beat in a number of games. Um, my friend Richard and I talked about this, but um, yeah, Sean, tell us... Uh, Tell us just viscerally, as an observer, um, the, some of the emotions of witnessing that game in person. It was one of the better games I've seen the Kings play in the regular season in a long time. Uh, we controlled the puck basically the entire game, minus like maybe a couple pushes by Calgary. Uh, yeah, we really outshot them, didn't we? Oh, by huge amounts. And, and their their first goal was a double deflection, so you can't blame Quick for that or really anybody. It was a power play goal. You know, the, stuff like that's going to happen. Their second goal was clearly goalie interference and should have been called back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their third goal was another fluke. I think it actually went off Dowdy and in. So they had three goals, you know, to their credit, but none of, not, none of those three goals were particularly impressive, is what I'm saying. Uh huh. From my vantage point, it seemed to me, and maybe again, maybe I just haven't paid attention to this in, in past games, and this is something that I, I, I should have seen earlier, or, or maybe it was something different in this game, but it seemed like the Kings were playing a lot more below the goal line in the offensive zone. Okay, so to, to frame this in our, in our patented three-period breakdown, the Kings' key to the game was was what again? I would say the key to the game was how deep the puck was staying in the offensive zone the entire time. We weren't throwing out to the point very much. Uh, it was like constantly deep in in the zone. Like small passes and things in the circle? Yeah, which which you don't see a lot in King's games because it can op- often catch 
our forwards out of position and force uh, uh, odd man rushes going the other way. Mm-hmm. So that's what was really surprising about that game. But there was something about the way the, it was just the confidence with which uh, our 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 guys were keeping the puck so deep in the zone the entire game was really really impressive. Excellent. Um, a standout player from both teams. I mean, I, I can't see why you would pick anybody other than Tyler Toffoli. Good. Touched on him. That was his hat-trick game, correct? Uh, absolutely. And I would like... And actually, the, the person who deserves the most credit for that, I think, actually, is myself. Because... <laughs> <laughs> that was not the first person I was thinking you would say, but tell us more. Listen, when I was at the game, I was texting with my brother Chris, who was at home watching. And he texted me and said at one point how much he hated Jonas Hiller's mask because it's just plain black. <laughs> file to it. And he said, like, God, I wish they would just get him out of the game. It's so, it's so, it was so annoying to him. And I said back, this was after Toffoli's first goal. I said, don't worry. Once Toffoli pots two more, they'll pull him. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. Yeah, Hitler looked bad that game, and I was surprised he got he stayed in as long as he did. Well, I mean, I I don't know if I would agree with you on that. I, okay. I despite giving despite giving up as many goals as he did, I, I think there were moments because we had the puck the entire game. Right. I guess I only saw highlights. I did not see all of the saves he was probably making. Yeah, he he actually wasn't as bad as the scoreboard would look. The the it was more about the the um, the Flames defense was just was just non-existent. Interesting. Um, so uh, I mean, there there are a few that probably Hiller would like to have back, but it was he was kind of left out to he was left out to dry on a lot right. of those. And re- re- jogging my memory, that was the like throwback jersey night, so we were like in our bright yellow. Um, yeah, we were honoring Barry Melrose, uh, uh, whom I'm a big fan of. Uh, was there any special souvenir you got to take home as a Staples Center attendee? I got a Barry Melrose poster. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So to finish up third period, what was the the rain on that wonderful parade? What was the one uh, dark moment? Oh God in heaven! I honestly don't know. <laughs> was it the I late? Honestly... Let's just say it was the late start. All right, moving yeah, because on. Because it was such a complete game. I guess the only thing was that we let in the power play goal, but again, that way it was a double deflection. There's not like a whole lot you could do about that. Um, but I mean, well, it would be nice. Art the penalty kill tightened up a little bit, but man, I, I really it was one of the more complete games I've ever seen the Kings play. And I'm glad you said that because I'll try to rain on our parade a little bit. Um, I I haven't been able to watch all the games, but I did catch both Tampa games and the both Capitals games. Um, and even on the game in the games that we've won that I've been watching, I haven't seen that type of dominant, complete all around game that the Kings have played. Um, we went down in this recent game against Tampa. Um, 
I I didn't feel like we were being that dominant. Granted, Tampa is a good team, and I think they had a really good system defensively to bottle us up. But when I watched us, I I haven't seen the the complete juggernaut that we've been in the playoffs. I'm not seeing a team that is playing a, a game that just is going to lead to an inevitable victory. Like, I really feel like these games can go either way and we're just happening to win a lot of them. Granted, there were games that we were happening to lose that could have gone either way in the past. Um, So maybe it's just, like, kind of luck catching up to us and and giving us some victories. But I I don't feel like we're in the midst of some huge momentum swing that is inevitably going to lead to victories like you know we're playing to avalanche which is a talented but not so tough opponent uh tomorrow night and i really wouldn't be surprised if we came out flat and got whooped um what it, do you, do you feel like we actually are in like a, a pretty impressive uh coalesced format of a juggernaut right now i mean i i don't think we're necessarily playing like a a juggernaut i mean we have in a few games but no team is going to be able to enforce its will over 60 minutes in every game it can't it can't happen and we can't expect it but i i think the difference has been between these past five games and a lot of the other games in this season is something that daryl sutter talked about with getting that big goal at the right moment mm. which sort of this ephemeral non-categorized thing like you, I mean it, it, it's hard that's not a stat obviously big goal is not a stat but like think of like the, the, the Jeff Carter goal last night like the timing of that was just perfect and that's the yeah. kind of goal didn't get especially on the road in a lot of games that allowed teams to really execute the, the, the allow opposing teams to execute a late game push and force games into overtime where we've been just atrocious. So I, I think that's been the big difference in these past five games. And I think that might be, I don't know if that's a mental fortitude thing, if that's the quote-unquote turning it on late Kings team that we've seen over the past couple seasons. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't expect to see us be dominant in some of these games, especially like, a, you know, we're not going to be dominant against a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we're not going to be dominant against a team like the Washington Capitals because they're both so talented, but we can uh, we can get momentum at the right time and score goals at the right time and win those games. And I don't think um, because the games were less uh, dominant than the one against the Flames that it means that there's any sort of underlying weakness going on, you know, in our in our team. I think I think we could we could come out and kick the crap out of the uh, the Avalanche tomorrow. No question. Yeah, I. So, I I actually think we probably will, um, and it, it just seems like a very king's thing to do, to win, like six straight games and to have this real positive buzz and momentum, leading into, what is not just another game on the calendar, it never is when we play the San Jose Sharks, but it is. A particularly huge game coming up this Saturday. I'm I'm gonna segue us as we are very slowly moving through our talking points. Um, 
There is the Stadium Series game, which frankly I think many people are more interested and excited about um, than the Winter Classic. It's happening later in the season. It's pitting two intense rivals, maybe one of the best rivalries in the NHL right now. And there's like so much on the line. Like Even if this was just a regular game inside of a hockey arena, this would be a huge game coming up because... These teams are now, I think, essentially tied, or they're, the Kings can tie the Sharks now if they win tomorrow, because uh, the Sharks did in fact lose to the Predators 5-1 to tonight. Um, so, so we have this Stadium Series game coming up. It's the only other one besides the, the Winter Classic uh, that had already happened in Washington. So... I ask you, um, what's your attitude towards the upcoming Winter Classic? What if the Kings have six victories? Would it be the most Kings thing to do to just fall flat and get embarrassed in the outdoor game like they did last year to the Ducks? Um, what are you expecting? And have you been following along the Epic's TV show that's been uh, recording the, the build-up to this game as well. Well, to answer all 15 of your questions, yep. I will... I have a few more, but... I'll, I'll say I, I think that the way the, the schedule has been playing out and the way the standings are seated right now, this is... It, this has got to be Christmas morning for the guys at Epic's. Right. It, it is just building the... the the drama so perfectly. That being said, I haven't watched the series at all. Okay. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I think it would be the most Kings thing to do would be to kick the crap out of the Sharks. <laughs> I, I can't think of any bigger Kings thing than humiliating San Jose in front of everyone who loves them. <laughs> well, it'll also be mm, a large number of people who love the Kings. I mean... Uh, you have to imagine L.A., which is about five hours driving, not that far from San Jose or Santa Clara, um, is is going to churn out quite a lot of fans. And then there are those of us Kings fans in the Bay Area, like myself and Matthew, who will be heading to this game to be there in person to support the Kings. Loud and proud. Loud and proud. So, yes, there will be certainly um, a split crowd, I believe, at this upcoming game. I mean, yeah, that's the hope, right? Yeah. Uh, so you you think the most Kings thing would be to completely embarrass the Sharks. What do you think will actually happen? I think it's going to be a close game, and I'm saying the Kings are going to win 4-2. Nice. I will take Kings 3-2 in a overtime shootout victory in which they beat the Sharks and this horrific shootout um, losing streak and pattern and solve the final piece of this puzzle um, and turn things around um, and, and don't really look back as they jump the shark <laughs> into the playoffs. Wow. Um, 
do you think we will finish uh, the regular season ahead of San Jose? Yes. Do you think that will mean the Sharks will miss the playoffs? God, I hope so. I can't wait till we revisit our very first episode when we make our playoff predictions because I called the Sharks out of the playoffs or rather missing the Pacific Division. I thought they would make the wild card. I would love it if we jumped in to the Pacific Division, maybe faced Vancouver in the first round, like a 2-3. Calgary dropped to 4 and pushed out the Sharks into the non-playoff wilderness. It is entirely possible right now. Well, that would be right, great. right now, as as of, as of this podcast, Pacific Division is Anaheim in first with seventy-seven points, Vancouver in second with sixty-seven points, Calgary in third with sixty-seven points, and then fewer the games Wild- played. Or more games played than Vancouver. Yeah, 57 games. Uh, but th- this is my favorite stat right now, is that San Jose is in second wildcard spot with 66 points, but 59 games. Yeah. The Los Angeles are at 64 points, but 56 games. We have three games in hand on San Jose right now. And one against Calgary? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, and then there's a whole wild card on the other side of the, the division, the conference has potential to blend its wild card. So I really, I really want us to get into the, the Pacific top three. I think Anaheim will stay in first. I, I'm pretty sure that Vancouver will be two or three. So I just really want to be one of those top three. Let it be be put on record. All I'm asking this season is for the Kings to make the playoffs. Low expectations, low requirements for a successful season for me. Just please don't embarrass us and miss the playoffs, Kings. I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to be fine. I've been checking... Playoff stats every, or playoff probability every day now for the past two weeks. I don't know if you've um, discovered this website, but it's both pretty great and pretty addicting. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. Um, how, how, I've heard of it. How do they arrive at their percentage? Uh, it explains it on the website, but... It's a it's great to see this like incredibly sharply ascending line, uh, which is the Kings, and this sharp descending line, which is the um, San Jose Sharks. Um, I'm now having trouble bringing up the page. So this is what it it's uh it's called Sports Club Stats. Your teams. Team's chances of making the playoffs, and it's sportsclubstats.com slash NHL. Everyone, including Sean, I encourage you to check it out. It's really fun to play with, and it tells you, like, each game, um, 
on, on each day as well as the games coming up the next day, how the outcome of each game affects all these other teams' chances of making the playoffs. So, for instance, um, right now the LA Kings, according to this website, have a 60.9% chance of making the playoffs. San Jose, with their loss, has dropped to 36.2%, which is crazy. They dropped 11 percentage points by losing tonight. Um, and and then tomorrow, and then you can monkey around tomorrow with the results of uh, the game. So there's Colorado versus LA. If LA loses, we would fall to fifty point fifty two percent, and if we were to win, we would jump to sixty seven percent chance of making the playoffs. According to these statistics, anyways, um, hard. Right, which, I mean, it seems like you know we've rattled off five wins in a row. If San Jose turns around and does that, which is not out of the question, the picture is entirely different. It is, but it's also just a very unlikely thing to happen. Um, and that's why, you know, these odds get weighted. But, um, yeah, you can see how our trajectory, we, <laughs> we fell as low to 30% or so at the beginning of February when we were in our losing streak, so it is possible. Anyways, um, the last key figure of this team we have yet to really talk about, which I wanted to touch on before we go, is um, the goaltending position. Um, that's really just one person because I'm pretty sure Daryl Sutter has started Jonathan Quick in, like, the last 20 games? Like, I can't think of the last time Jonathan Quick did not start. Martin Jones was out with an injury. I guess he's back and healthy now. And we are still riding Quick every game. What do you make of this? I mean, it's it's Daryl Sutter's M.O. He's been doing that since Calgary, where he, he picks his horse and rides him. So, I mean, I, I, would, I would expect <clears throat> to see Jones take, what, probably two or three more starts, maybe, through the rest of the season, but I mean, it's not going to be much. Don't. I I just feel like we we maybe rode quick. Recently, with Jones out, and he just didn't trust Barube, the the other backup. But we've got to start giving him some spells now, so that we can potentially ride him for the last, you know, nine of ten games in, in the season. Because it's, it's clearly going to... All of our games are going to matter from this point on out. And you know he's going to play in the stadium series. It's, it's kind of just impossible to imagine him sitting in this huge televised game. So I would love to see Quick take off tomorrow night's game against Colorado. Um... I don't know if you think that's wise. I don't know. I, I just get really nervous about how we're wearing, you know, quick down potentially. Um, he's a really athletic goalie that makes incredibly acrobatic saves, and I feel like I'd hate to see him get injured. And it just seems like with the type of play that he 
uses to, to goaltend, it would be very likely for him to get injured the more strain we're putting on him. I mean, yeah, we, but we've done this down the stretch the past couple seasons, and, I mean, he, he the only time he was injured was well, your early, earlier at least, was what, I think, January. This year? Um, no, last year. Right, I mean, that's the thing, is that he's, you know, maybe it was a blessing in disguise that he got injured in 2012, he got hurt in in the middle of last year, and so he's had these breaks to take time off, and we've, you know, relied on our backups, Bernier and Jones, and then Quick's been healthy for the playoffs. Like, Quick is not getting, as an entire body, you know, the ability to just rest. And I mean, goalies, you know, the you the, neither you nor I, in fact, have, have been an NHL goalie either, but uh, from what I hear... It is a very mental, you know, position, and sometimes you just need like um, to to have the right mental approach and to be mentally fresh. And I just feel like that can be very hard if you're not getting any breaks once in a while. I know Quick loves it. He's like dowdy. He wants to play every game, but yeah, I mean, but I, I, it's it's both in Sutter's and and uh, Quick's mo to just. Have a pick a starter and have him play every single game imaginable. Right. So I, I, I think you're going to get there. Let's see, we've got one back to back coming up at the end of this month. We've got we got a few. Our our schedule is starting to get much more packed together. We've had a lot of spacing and sort of nice scheduling um, up to this point, but. In the upcoming weeks, it's going to start getting a bit more crowded. We have three back-to-backs through the rest of the season. Actually, interestingly enough, we have the fewest back-to-backs of any team in the league this year. Yeah, in general, uh, just statistically speaking, apparently our schedule is pretty nice um, from travel and other factors from what I've read. Um, I mean, the, the, the one counterpoint is that quick in spite of winning us recent games, it hasn't looked phenomenal. Um, he hasn't looked like the Jonathan Quick that we're, we're going to need in the playoffs, and he hasn't looked like the Jonathan Quick that's excelled at times. I feel like he's just playing so-so. Fortunately, the team has really stepped up around him. We've been scoring more goals than we ever seem to have been able to score and that's kind of covering up the fact that he's giving up, you know, three goals a night, it seems. And and normally that would not be a, a winning formula. I mean, yeah. It, 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 he's, a, he's a good goaltender, but that's kind of it. He's a good regular season goaltender. He's not, maybe he's not, I mean, this, this debate's been going on you know, all over the place, whether or not yeah. like, he's eat or not. Um, and as we've discussed in the past, I mean, you know, his his lifetime uh, save percentage is, I think it's just around league average, right? Yeah. What ninth? Right. So, and, and also keep keep again keeping in mind, he has been playing with 
uh, at least one defensive pair in front of him that is still learning how to play NHL hockey. <laughs> Ouch. So, how dare you say no, that about Matt Green? I don't mean I don't mean that as I'm not putting them down, but like McNabb and McBain are both, you know, young guys in a new system that have been thrown into the deep end. So you're just going to get a lot more defensive mistakes. And, you know, what was so great about the team last year when we were the number one defense in the league and, and Jonathan Quick in 2011-2012 when he had the best save percentage in the league and for some reason didn't win the Vezina, um, it, it, it was an, an incredibly tight, incredibly well-disciplined defensive core in front of him. And we just don't have that this year. Or we don't have that as, you know, as good as we did in the past. So True. His, his numbers are going to dip with that. It's not entirely... In other words, the numbers are not entirely his. It's true. Well, fortunately, he's keeping us in games, and uh, we're winning them right now. And it feels good, because um, I was uh, it's getting pretty despondent there with, with the, the heaping loss column. So uh, let's keep it up for the Royal We... Um, and go Kings go. Uh, I think we've we've talked pretty extensively. Um, this this is potentially a marathon episode here in the ma- in the making. So, um, sorry it's been so long. Uh, do you have any final points you want to add before we close off? Uh, Tyler Toffoli is going to be a forty goal scorer next year. I'm glad you've made sure to interject that important uh, prediction now. All right. Well, um, huge game coming up, not just for the Kings, but for the league on Saturday, the 21st, just a few days away. Kings and Sharks Outdoor Series. Uh, Epics is televising this, so we encourage folks, if they haven't, to check it out. I, um, I've seen one episode, and it was... It was pretty interesting. Um, and uh, as, a, as a podcast note, if you have not uh, subscribed and just are listening to this, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, go to our blog, uh, Kings of Kings, and uh, give us ratings and review us. Uh, it will only boost our status in the cybersphere. Um, and it'll make Sean giggle. So. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, till next time, let's uh, let's check in after after the the stadium series game. Absolutely. Alright, go things go. Good times, bad times, you know I ran my share. Excellent.